Right, so here we are. They're like the Pharisees, they're like the Amish. They had all these rules. Uh, they're, they're extremely righteous. Right, so, so what does Jesus mean uh, when he says the people in his kingdom have to be more righteous? Well, he's making the point that that real righteousness, right, that that's how God really wants us to live, uh, is not just about looking good on the outside. It's about a deep transformation on the inside. It's about righteous hearts that manifest in righteous living, not just uh, avoiding particular behaviours on the outside. Uh, So in verses 21 to 48, this whole section, uh, Jesus is unpacking what that lifestyle looks like. What does this real righteousness look like? Remember, he's speaking to uh, his disciples, people who are already citizens of God's kingdom, uh, and he's saying, this is how you should live if you want to live lives that please God. This is how you should live. As you'll notice, uh, if you've got your Bible open, not just the passage in front of you, uh, but if you've got Matthew chapter 5 open, you'll notice that six times in this section, uh, Jesus said, you've heard heard that it was said this, uh, but I tell you this. Now, now when Jesus says that, we've got to be really clear uh, that he's not contrasting the Old Testament with the New Testament. Remember, he's already said, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I'm not setting that aside. Uh, So when he says this, he's not uh, correcting the Old Testament. He's correcting the people's interpretation of the Old Testament as it was taught by the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And so in this whole section, uh, he's undoing a, a whole lot of false interpretations of God's law. People had got it wrong. And he's undoing a whole lot of false definitions of how we should live. Definitions of what, what does righteousness looks like, look like? What does it look like uh, to live a life that pleases God? And so it's starting this week, uh, but for the next six weeks, Jesus is going to be undoing these things. Uh, so let's look at and verses 21 to 26. This is how we should live uh, when it comes to murder. Uh, not surprisingly, uh, Jesus agrees that we shouldn't murder, right? That's the first tip in verse 21. Uh, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, uh, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's true. And if you remember, in the Old Testament, God gave uh, Israel ten main commandments. And the sixth commandment was, you shall not murder. Anyone who did murder had to front up to the courts. They were subject to judgment. So on one level, there's no issue with what the people have been hearing, right? The, the, the Pharisees have got this right. People, they shouldn't murder people. We should not murder people. Not rocket science. You probably knew that whether you're a Christian or not, uh, whether you'd come to church today or not. Uh, but the thing is that, uh, that that is all the Pharisees are worried about. You see, like the, the Pharisees can tick that box. Uh, you can probably tick that box uh, and say, I have never murdered anyone. And so the Pharisees think they're so righteous. Like God should be so impressed with them. They're so super spiritual. So, but Jesus goes deeper to the righteousness that he described in verse 20, the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. And you notice that his train of thought is, can't you see that, that this law was never just about stopping people from murdering each other? This law uh, was not about just addressing the outward action. Uh, It was about addressing the real problem that's in people's hearts, the the inward attitudes that manifest in that action. Uh, So in verse 22, look at verse 22, Jesus says, "Uh, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister 
uh, will be subject to judgment. Right? The, the issue is not just murdering someone, it, it's being angry with someone. Uh, some of you uh, might know when you read the Bible, sometimes there's a footnote uh, to the text. Uh, and I've included one of those footnotes here. You, you'll notice it if you've got the Connect card. Uh, the footnote to, to this particular sentence uh, includes the words, uh, without cause. Right, so, so the sentence would read, uh, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister without cause uh, will be subject to judgment. And doesn't that seem right? That seems right, it seems right to me, uh, because often my anger feels so justified. Right? Oh, I've got a worthy cause to be angry. Uh, but the truth is that, uh, that those words were, were probably added later on, right? Like a, a scribe was copying out a, a copy of Matthew's gospel to be sent around uh, and he thought, oh, Jesus can't mean that, that all anger's wrong. So he added in these words, without cause. He was just trying to soften Jesus' teaching, trying to perhaps give us an out. Of course, on one level it's true that not all anger is worthy of God's judgment. How do we know that? Well, we know it because Jesus was perfect and he got angry. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 21, Jesus enters the temple and you might remember the story, he overthrows a whole lot of tables. People were, were trying to turn uh, God's temple into a place of business instead of a place of worship and, and that makes Jesus incredibly angry. If you read the story in John chapter 2, Jesus makes a whip and drives the people out. Like he's very angry. Uh, but why is he angry? Why is Jesus angry? Well, he's angry because God is being dishonoured. That's why he's angry. He's angry because people are being deprived of the opportunity to worship God. Right? That, that is a massive injustice. Of course, typically, that's not why we get angry. At least, it's not why I get angry. Most of the time, I get angry not because other people have been mistreated, but because I've been mistreated. Not because God has been dishonoured, but because I have been dishonoured. I'm angry because I feel like my, my reputation has been tarnished. So most of the time, our anger uh, is unrighteous, uh, it's self-absorbed, it's full of pride. And that's what Jesus is getting at here, right? It's that anger uh, that is subject to judgment. Uh, in fact, he goes further than that, right? He says not only is anger forbidden, but treating one, someone with contempt is for forbidden. Again, Jesus says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, uh, Raka, is answerable to the court. Uh, Jill did a good job reading uh, Raka. Uh, it's an Aramaic word and some of you are like, well, what do we pay uh, translators of the Bible for if they can't even kind of translate the Aramaic into English? Like, that's their whole job. Uh, but it, the, the tricky thing about this word uh, is that it, it's not so much a word, but an attitude. It sort of translates a, a vibe towards people. It's really a, an attitude of contempt. Uh, literally, it means nothing. That, I mean, like nothing, as in this person. It's like if you said it to someone, uh, they're saying, you're not even worth my time. I'm treating you as an absolute nobody. You're a nothing. 
that, that, that's the kind of contempt. And Jesus says, if you treat someone like that, right, if you dismiss someone, if you diminish someone, if you dehumanize someone, you, you treat them as a nobody, you're answerable in court. And then he says, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fires of hell. Uh, in the Bible, a fool uh, is a bit somewhat of a technical term uh, in the sense that it means someone who, who is really convinced that they're wise, right, that they've got everything together, uh, but the reality is that they're so blind that they can't see the mess they're making. They're making a mess of their own life, they're making a mess of other people's lives, uh, and in God's eyes, they're a fool. And there are plenty of people who, who are fools. Jesus calls people fools, the Pharisees and teachers of the law later on in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, but here Jesus is saying uh, that we should be very careful of calling someone else a fool. Very careful, right? But because when we pronounce judgment on someone like that, usually we're full of pride and contempt and disdain for that person. And notice how this works, right? When we say this kind of thing about other people, we, we just brush it off and say, look, it's just a few careless words. Who cares? And Jesus doesn't cop that. Don't minimise it, Jesus says. Don't, don't let yourself off the hook. Notice what he says. He says, those words have the smell of sulphur about them. They're hellish. That's why you're in danger of the fires of hell. Treating someone with contempt like that, dehumanising someone, treating someone as a nobody, judging someone, acting as if you're so much better than them. Jesus says it's not on for people who are a part of his kingdom. I hope, I hope you guys are feeling the weight of this. I certainly was during the week. And this is why I asked that question at the start. Who have you murdered lately? Because Jesus wants us to see that in God's eyes, not one of us is morally superior to a murderer. Not one. You can't think that you've uh, obeyed God's law, that you're pleasing to God, simply because you haven't murdered someone. But right? in your heart, uh, you, I'm sure, have hated someone. I have. Been angry with someone, perhaps treated someone with contempt, treated them uh, as a nobody. Uh, allowed feelings of anger, of bitterness, of, of resentment to, to fester away in your heart. Perhaps uh, you've even enjoyed the thought of someone being made small, someone being brought down a peg or two, someone being a victim of harm in some way. You've kind of entertained that and thought, that I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Uh, and Jesus says, if you've allowed that kind of anger to take root in your heart, to, the, the, the kind of seeds of that anger to, to be in your heart... In God's eyes, you're no better than a murderer. I guess if you imagine for a moment uh, that you see a gum tree, or maybe some of you can see them at, at the window here. So you see a gum tree uh, and you zoom in on that tree uh, and there are two gum nuts. Uh, and you know that, that both those gum nuts, if they fall to the ground, if their seeds fall out, uh, they have the potential to produce a whole gum tree. Right? They've got that potential. Uh, one gum nut does fall to the ground, its seeds fall out in fertile soil. Over time, with some rain, with some sunshine, up comes a gum tree. Brilliant. Uh, the other gum nut also falls to the ground, but its seeds fall on the path uh, and they just rot away. 
And so here's the question. You tell me, which of those gum nuts was better? Which gum nut was superior? Neither, isn't it? It's just that their seeds fell in different conditions, in, in different circumstances. Likewise, Jesus says, don't look at a murderer and arrogantly think, I could never do something like that. I'm so much better than them. I'm so much more superior than them. You're not. I'm not. The, the, the very seeds of murder are in your heart and my heart. They're there. Under the right conditions, in the right circumstances, we could easily be murderers. So this is what Jesus calls us to. It's how we should live. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, uh, we should never be angry. Unrighteous anger. And we should never treat anyone with contempt. We should never dismiss someone as a nobody, no, no matter who they are. We should treat every person in every situation with dignity and respect. Why? Because they're precious creations in the image of God. So what does that look like in day-to-day life? What might it look like to to take this stuff seriously? Well, in verses 23 to 26, Jesus gives us two examples. Uh, The basic idea of both these examples uh, is that given how dangerous anger and contempt are, wherever possible, we should deal with them immediately. That's the basic idea. Uh, So in verses 23 and 24, Jesus gives the example of someone uh, going to worship. Uh, They're offering their sacrifice at the temple. Uh, But then what happens? They they remember, perhaps that they're convicted, uh, that their brother or sister has something against them. Uh, So what does Jesus say? He says, it is far more important for that person to go and be reconciled to their brother or sister than to simply go through the motions of worship. that, That would be just hypocrisy. That's not the way of Jesus. That's the way of the Pharisees, you see. It looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's ugly. So Jesus says, if you come to church like that, if you come to to worship God like that, you should leave immediately. Notice, don't worry about what to do with your your offering. Just leave it at the altar. Don't, Don't make any arrangements. Just go and deal with it. Go straight away and be reconciled with your brother or sister. This is far more important than going through the motions of singing songs and saying prayers and hearing sermons and serving others and just kind of meeting your religious obligations. Isn't it? It's easy to fall into this. You come to church, you go through the motions. You've been here before. You know how it goes. You can play the part. You can put on the show. But deep down you know it's hypocrisy. Because even though everything looks good on the outside, on the inside, there's real issues of anger and contempt that you are refusing to deal with. And maybe even with people sitting here today. I don't know. There's a lot of people away, so maybe you get off the hook there. <laughs> right? And you come to church and you actually wonder why it is that you feel distant from God. Well, maybe it's because of Isaiah 59 verse 2, where Isaiah says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. 
Maybe you feel distant from God, that there's an issue in your relationship with God, his face is hidden from you because you're just going through the motions of church. Oh, you're good at ticking the boxes, at meeting the obligations. But what you should be doing is dealing with your anger and bitterness and contempt. Uh, just, just a, a word for husbands. And maybe you're wondering why God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers. Well, let me ask, how are you, how are you relating to your wife? Because in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Not just because they're precious creations in the image of God, they, they are that but also because they're heirs with you of God's gracious gift of life. They're very precious. And Peter says that if you don't treat your wife with the consideration and respect that she deserves, it will hinder your prayers. It'll get in the way of your relationship with God. You see the message here? None of us can pull the wool over God's eyes. God is not impressed by our mere attendance at things, our rituals, our service, our sacrifice. He's not impressed just by mere outward stuff. He's impressed when we seek to be like him. Remember Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. This is how my children behave. They know what it is to be at peace with God, so they work hard to be at peace with others. That's what impresses God when you take real steps to deal with your anger towards others so you can be reconciled. And just to clarify, Jesus is not saying that that every relationship in your life has to be reconciled before you can come to church. He's not saying that. Uh, We we know that, uh, at least pragmatically, because reconciliation is a two-way street, isn't it? Uh, we can only control what's going on in our hearts, how, how we deal with that. right? How, uh, but I guess my question is, is are you confessing any anger or bitterness or, or contempt that you have? Are you confessing that to God, to others, particularly to the person concerned? Wherever possible, you should do that. You should tell that person that, that you have forgiven them and you'd like them to forgive you so that you can be reconciled. Of course, from that point, the ball is completely in their court, isn't it? You can't control them. You can't control their heart. God can. You should pray for them. But at least you can turn up to worship with integrity, knowing that you've taken seriously what's going on uh, in your own heart. So that's the first example. It's about worship. Uh, The second example in verses 25 and 26 uh, is a legal one. uh, The context here in Jesus' day, uh, if someone defaulted on their debts, uh, the judge could throw them into prison uh, until they paid off everything they'd owed, right? Of course, when someone's in prison, uh, they can't earn money to pay off their debts. Uh, So what's Jesus' tip? Settle things as quickly as you can. Like even on the way to the court, sort out the debts that you have. Likewise, if you're in debt to someone relationally, uh, you've sinned against them, Uh, There's a debt to be paid. You should deal with it as quickly as you can. That's the message. Don't delay. Are you not on the the way to an earthly court? Well, you might be, depending on what the relational issue is. Uh, But in the scheme of the universe, we're all on the way to God's court. 
and we should seek to settle matters quickly. Uh, so that, that's how we should live. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if, you, if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, uh, and, and you'll see that it's not just about murder, it's about the anger and contempt that lead to murder. That's how we should live. And I don't know about you, uh, but as I kind of reflect on that standard of the, the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, I fall way short of that. Way, 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 way short. Uh, talk to Gabby, talk to my kids. Man, they're driving me insane this week, right? Like, like there's a lot of unrighteous anger. I'm conscious of that. But none of us can do this perfectly. And that's at least part of the point of verses 18 to 20. Like Jesus says uh, that I don't want you to think, and this is my summary, paraphrase of verses 18 to 20. Basically, I don't want you to think that because I've just been talking about hope for the hopeless and, and grace for the broken, that I'm going soft on God's law. Like that, that's the issue there, right? Jesus, that somehow people have got the idea that it doesn't matter how you live. Jesus says it does matter how you live. In fact, the people in my kingdom, Jesus says, have to live even more righteously than the Pharisees. So what do we do, right? At the end of verse 20, as, as we reflect on verses 21 to 26, what do we do? We throw up our hands and we give up. It's impossible. That's what we're supposed to do. That's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to admit, he wants you to admit, remember at the start of chapter 5, uh, that you are poor in spirit. Spiritually speaking, you're a beggar, right? You've got nothing to offer God. All you come to God with is your sin, your brokenness, your mess. That's what you have to offer. You're poor in spirit. That's where Jesus wants us to get to. He wants us to actually be mourning over our sin, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He wants us to feel the weight of our sin, that we would mourn at it. And that we would confess that, that in our own strength, we cannot live this life that pleases God. Not at all. But that's not the same as saying that it doesn't matter how you live. It does matter how you live. It's just that we come to Christ with all our sin and brokenness and weakness and by his power and in his strength and by the, the kind of his transforming and powerful grace, over time we can live this out. We can obey this teaching in verses 21 to 26. Maybe we won't get it perfect in this lifetime, right? But, but God can change us. How does that work? Well, I mentioned earlier, right, verse 17, I mentioned this idea that Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish God's law. I haven't come to set it aside, to abolish it, Jesus said. And of course, why would he? Let me put it like this. Gabby and I are married. And so what do I know? I know that Gabby loves me and I love her. I know that. That's the foundation, right? And because I know that, I not only want to know what pleases Gabby, I want to do what pleases Gabby. That's, that's how Gabby's love for me has changed me. I, I want to know what pleases her, I want to do what pleases her. Likewise, if you are a disciple of Jesus, a child of God, someone who knows that God loves you, if you've been changed by his love, uh, if you know that if you love him, you not only want to know what pleases God, you want to do what pleases God. And how do you know what pleases God? Well, it's written down in his law. 
his law, which Jesus summarises as love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. What does it look like to love your neighbour as yourself? Well, for one thing, don't treat them with, don't murder them, don't be angry with them in a kind of vicious way, don't treat them with contempt. So Jesus didn't come to abolish God's law, but to fulfil God's law. And I mentioned last week that really there are two ways in which you can fulfil a law. I said last week you can either obey the law or you can pay the penalty for breaking it. Right, so the law says uh, you should stop at this red light. How do you fulfil that law? You fulfil it either by stopping at the red light or by driving right through the red light and paying the fine. That's how the law works. You can fulfil the law either by obeying it or by paying the penalty for breaking it. And this is the incredible news of Christianity, isn't it? Because when Jesus says, I came to fulfil the law, he's saying, I came to fulfil the law in both those ways. You see that Jesus fulfilled the law by obeying it perfectly. He never set a foot wrong. In this case, he was never inappropriately angry. Uh, He never diminished or dismissed or dehumanised anyone. You see, Jesus fulfilled God's law by obeying it perfectly. Uh, But then at the end of his life, when when he deserved to receive every blessing for his obedience, uh, Jesus fulfilled God's law by paying the penalty, not for his breaking of the law. He didn't break the law but he paid the penalty for our breaking of God's law, for your breaking of God's law. He died the death that you deserve to die so you can receive what he deserved. What does that mean? It means that by faith in Jesus, in his death on the cross, God declares little old you, right, with all your mess, with all your sin, with every bit of disobedience, God declares you to be perfect and pure and righteous in his court. That's what God does. He treats you as if you'd obeyed him perfectly. You're clothed in Jesus' perfection. You say, that that's not fair. I didn't earn that. You're right. You didn't earn it. That's why Christians sing Amazing Grace, because you get what you don't deserve. And Jesus got what we deserve. So how does that truth, that the Christ uh, fulfilled God's law in those two different ways, how, do, how does that truth uh, empower us? How does it strengthen us to live out Jesus' teaching here? How does it help you, uh, no matter who someone is, uh, no matter what they believe, no matter how they live, how does it help you, no matter their sexuality or race or religion or class, how does it help you to treat everyone with dignity and respect? Right? You're getting the idea. How does... These truths play out in how you live. Well, if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, that would be useful. If you've got a Bible, I think it's Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. If you're flicking through the New Testament. How does this truth of Christ's death on the cross stop us from dismissing people, from dehumanising them, uh, from treating them as nobodies? If you've got Philippians 2 open, Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7, uh, this is a letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, This is what he says. Uh, He says, Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And notice these words, rather 
Uh, He made himself nothing. Nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is how you live out Matthew 5. Well, this is the best I've got for you today, right? You remind yourself of what Christ did for you. He fulfilled the law. He, he died, died the death you deserve to die. You remind yourself uh, that Christ, right, what does Philippians 2 say? It says that Christ was the ultimate somebody. You get that? He shared equality with God. Uh, he was more glorious, more wonderful than any of us, much more superior than any of us, right? The, the Christ was the ultimate somebody. Uh, and yet for you, he made himself nothing. Nothing. You know the story. People mocked Jesus. They, they scoffed at him. They dismissed him. They may well have called him Rakar. Right? They treated Christ as an absolute nobody, crucified on a rubbish dump, mocking every single aspect of who he is. Right? You remind yourself that Christ was willing to endure all that so that you, right, you who spiritually speaking are a nobody, But you're a nobody, I'm a nobody. We deserve to be treated as nobodies by God, rejected and mocked and scorned by God. Us nobodies can become somebodies, citizens of God's kingdom, children of God, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. If that truth goes deep into your heart, if you own the fact, for example, that spiritually speaking, you are a nobody, if you really own that, Uh, You'll never roll your eyes at someone else in contempt. You'll never dehumanise someone else. Because you'll say to yourself, Aaron, remember that Christ, the ultimate somebody, became the ultimate nobody so that you could become somebody. We've got to to remember that. Remember God's grace to you. What, What right do you have, do I have, as someone who's nobody? And to treat any particular person with anger or disdain or contempt as if we're somehow superior to them. The more God's grace to you in Christ transforms your heart over time, the more you'll joyfully obey this teaching. Let's be clear, not to try and earn God's approval. You've already got that but because of what Christ has done. You're not obeying it to try and earn God's approval. Are you doing it simply because you know that God loves you? You know that you love God. And you know that this particular thing pleases him. So why wouldn't you want to do it? You've been won over by his love. And so your heart's been moved to live this life that pleases him over time. Let, Let me pray. Our gracious Father, Uh, As we look at these words, we are conscious of of how far we fall short. Uh, We know that there's anger and contempt and bitterness that we do our best to hide from others. Uh, But we certainly can't hide that from you. Uh, Sometimes we don't even try to hide it, Lord, and it comes out in all sorts of ugly ways. Uh, we fall way short of this righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. Of, uh, we know that you've transformed our hearts, that we know your love to us in Christ.
And we pray that you would move us more and more by the power of your Spirit, uh, by your great love and grace and mercy to us. Uh, that we'd want to not only know what pleases you, but do what pleases you. Uh, we pray you'd remind us that, spiritually speaking, uh, each of us are, are nobodies, uh, not impressive at all. And yet our Lord Jesus, the ultimate somebody, was willing to be made nothing in our place uh, that we might become somebody, not because of what we've done or our achievements, but because of your great grace and mercy that we're called your children. Uh, may these re- realities shape how we relate to others, that we would never treat anyone else as a nobody, as a nothing, uh, but as precious people created in your image and uh, particularly those who are, who are also redeemed by the blood of our Lord Jesus our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Please, Lord, uh, help us uh, bring these words home to our hearts. Help us to keep thinking about them and be changed by them for your glory. Amen.